Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up the train. Ammunition ship a fire in harbor making for Pier 6 and will explode. Guess this will be my last message. Goodbye, boys. This was the last message ever sent by railway engineer Vincent Coleman, who we will hear more about here on The Reluctant Historian. What's up, everybody? I'm Liz Lawson, and this is our Reluctant Historian. Dakota Lawson. This is the podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. So, if you love history... Or you absolutely hate it. This podcast is for you. We would like to begin by recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement in recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Turtle Island. Okay, Kuda. I could see you were like... Kuda. Kakoda. <laughs> I can see that you were pondering the intro. What do you think we're talking about today? Okay, well, I'm trying to remember exactly how it went, but he's like, there's something about a train? Yep. But then you said harbor? Did yep. you say harbor? I did say harbor. Look at you listening. So he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna crash his train into the harbor. It's going to go over into the ocean. Boom. James Bond. He's got a underwater <laughs> train. train. Yeah. That he goes into a secret base. Yeah. So this guy, they think he's dead. He's still alive to this day. Got it. Vincent D'Onofrio. Who? Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio is Kingpin in Marvel. Mm. And he's also in uh, uh, the first Jurassic World. He's like, we got to we gotta weaponize these raptors. We oh, got to yeah, turn them guy. into, yes. you know. Yeah, I know him. Yeah. Intimately. Intimately. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. What the fuck are you trying to say? <laughs> well, actually. 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 <laughs> uh, well, if you grew up in Canada, you may be familiar with our Heritage Minutes. Oh. <laughs> burnt toast, doctor. I smell burnt toast. Do you remember that one? No. I only oh, that one's my favorite. Okay. I only remember the one that there was... Uh, uh, there was the, the 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 whites, and then there was the indigenous folk, and they were like the the indigenous folk said in their language like Canada. Oh yeah, just in reference like to village. their village, yeah, right? Yeah, that's the word for the village. And then they uh, were just like, "Oh, this whole place is Canada." Yeah, I actually remember that a lot more than you I did. I you did. did great. Yeah. So, yeah. do you so, want to explain Heritage Minutes? Then? Yeah, Heritage Minutes are these things that I don't know the government. I don't know who was putting them out. Somebody in Canada was making them, and they're literally like a minute, and they give us little snippets of our history and our heritage. And so they're um, commercials, though, right? Not not well, advertising, no, but they're. They're on the TV. Public service announcements, essentially. Yeah, yeah. But you'd watch them on TV like yeah. like you would a commercial. They would yeah. be in, in between yeah. programming. Yeah. So yeah. making you learn history, which was just chef's kiss. Um, my favorite one was the burnt toast doctor where they were doing one. like brain surgery. This yeah. lady was ha- kept having seizures. So she like, did, they did surgery on her brain and he kept poking on the one spot and it made her smell burnt toast and like they mapped the brain or something. So mm. that one um, was one that I really liked. But then this one, 
was also really? a Heritage Minute that I remembered. So it's about the Halifax explosion. Uh, I don't, I don't know that one. That's okay. We're going <laughs> to learn about it today. And I, I, do, I'll do warn, we have to? <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'll warn you. Uh, this is one where I got like really into the details about what was what was happening, and I was like, I don't think Dakota's going to enjoy this, but I fucking loved it. So. The listeners might have... Okay, last week you got a 10 out of 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Oh, you know what you always fucking do? You always, every time <laughs> I, I give you a 10, you're like, let's see if we can get a, get a three this week, you know? And... Okay, but I've been really wanting to do this one for a long time, and I didn't realize how interested I was in it until I yeah. started researching it, so... so... So by you saying, like, I really went into the details on this one, I don't think Dakota's gonna like this one, with that... Translated says, Dakota, I don't respect you anymore. That's not what And that I'm says. sleeping with your brother. <laughs> I don't have a brother. It's not at all what that says. Oh, okay. I guess I just hear, not what I want to hear, because I don't want to hear you're sleeping with my imaginary brother. But <laughs> Yeah, well, you will like this one. I'm not holding my breath. No, why, why would you say that? You... I feel like everything you've said has led me to believe that I'm not going to like this Yeah, I think I know you well enough in your understanding. So you're just fucking lying to me now? You're going to like this one. Or you're being sarcastic and you're poking fun at me. I'm going to make you like this one. Whether you like it or not. Now it's forceful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What's your gold nugget? So I'm a sucker for trashy reality TV. (laughs) Okay. So recently I watched a show. It was all right. It was called Dated and Related. Oh, yeah. Now... Before I say what it's about, I just want people to think about what it is, and we're going to say at the same time what you would assume it's about. Okay, I'm not going to say because I know what it's about. One, two, three, incest. Did did you get it? Did you get it, listener? It's not actually about incest, but you would think that. Dated Because it's called dated and related. Oh, yeah, that and related. And it's basically, they just go to a, let's call them fuck islands. Yes. Because that's what all these shows are. They're just, you know, they claim they're all about finding love, but it's just like, it's just hot people banging, basically. And a hot new bombshell has entered the villa. Yeah, basically. (laughs) That's from Too Hot to Handle, isn't it? I have no idea what it's from. No, because, yeah, anyways. So uh, they go to this fuck island with their brother and sister, and you're like, wait a minute, he's going to fuck his sister? (laughs) No, he's not actually. Uh, He's going to his sister or brother are going to be their wingman to Mm. help them find love. Mm. And now you're thinking, Dakota, if you saw this title and you thought incest (laughs) to start, (laughs) why did you press play? Don't ask me about my business, listener. (laughs) I I kid. But um, now I'm watching Love Island on Crave because Crave has a ton of like the MTV style. You know, there's like... There's Jordy Shore, which is fucking bomb. You love but Shore. they only have like five seasons out of like twenty. Yeah, there's a lot of seasons. Anyway, so I'm watching Love Island. It's pretty good. There's, you know, lots of drama and stuff. Love that shit. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, well, I'm excited for you. Thank you. What's your golden nugget? Uh so we went into our house yesterday. Uh we pulled up at the same time that the painters were leaving and they let us come in and look at it. 
And our kitchen cabinets are there, which means that build build date is not going to be uh, pushed back, which means we're going to be able to move in on time. And I'm so happy. And I almost started crying when we were in the house. So that was my golden nugget. October 14th. Absolutely. That's that's when we're expected to move in. And yeah, it was beautiful just yeah. seeing, you know, now that the cabinets are there, I really feel like it's actually going to happen on time, happen on time, yeah, which too. is which is really cool. Yeah, I'm so, very excited. Yeah. So it was a good one. Yeah. yeah. So our story begins at the tail end of World War One in 1917, Halifax, Nova Scotia, which sits on the ancestral and unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people. Okay, you know what's you know what's already bad about this story? World is, War One is that one? Yes, one World War One. Nobody wants to hear about that shit. You're a liar. Maybe John. Maybe John likes all of the all of the history as much as you do. So I mean, there's a lot of listeners that like the history as much as I do. I don't believe that for a goddamn second. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then uh, two, uh, it's a Canadian story. <laughs> so yeah, like, Halifax explosion. I told you that at the beginning. I, no, no, no. I I knew that. I know. But it's just like those are two things that it's like, like. First, we're going to make it boring. World War One. Second, we're going to make it extra boring. Canada. <laughs> I love how proud you are of our country. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I like it more than America, but like... You also think the, we're part of America most of the time. North America. We're North Americans. Got it. That's true. That's a fact. <laughs> like, I'm not crazy here, right? No, you're right. So yes. anyways, go on with your Halifax fucking bombing or whatever explosion. So Halifax was a busy wartime port city in 1917. At the time, World War I had been going on for three years, and Canadian servicemen played an active role in the war efforts, which could be a whole episode itself. In fact, I actually do talk for three days in my History 20 class about... Uh, Canada and its involvement in the war and its treatment of minorities in the war. You know what you should do? What's that? You should keep that in your history class and yes. don't bring it to this podcast. You should <laughs> shut your mouth. <laughs> um, Halifax was a hub in Canada's war effort. With one of the finest and deepest ice-free harbors in North America, Halifax was the port that tens of thousands of Canadian, British Empire, and American troops passed on their way to the battlefields of Europe or on their way home. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to interrupt constantly, but I have to say this. You know what would make this story much more interesting? Tell me. If you would have said, Halifax was a hub, a porn hub. <laughs> and then you just give me a swerve of like the, or, uh, like the origins of how Pornhub actually started in Halifax before there was the internet. <laughs> yeah, that, and that was the Halifax explosion of porn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to take it dirtier, so we'll leave it at that. (laughs) The city's population of nearly 50,000 people was swollen by the influx of troops and by Canadian and British naval officials who were supervising activity in the port. Millions of tons of supplies also passed through the port en route to war. Wheat, lumber, coal, food, munitions and armaments that would arrive by rail and then make their way onto the ships, which would then continue on their journey. The harbour was a place for both the Royal Canadian Navy as well as a base for the Royal Navy, so England, uh, vessels and merchant ships from around the world. This activity boosted the economy, made jobs plentiful, and made the city abuzz with people. Much of Halifax's industrial activity was centred in the working-class neighbourhood of Richmond in Halifax's North End. It was a tightly knit community of wooden homes, schools, and churches. Unpaved streets crisscrossed the slopes of Richmond, which led down to the harbor, where there were factories, naval piers, a sprawling dry dock, and railway yards. 
Further north of Halifax was the black community of Africville, which you can learn about in Season 1, Episode 5. Across the harbour on Dartmouth Shore was the longtime Micmac village of Turtle Grove. The Micmac called the harbour Kjipkuk, meaning Great Harbour. During the war, the harbour was protected by a network of fortified gun emplacements and observation posts, which were manned by military personnel. Many Halifax residents were afraid that German battleships might one day arrive offshore and shell the city, so underwater nets were strung across the harbour entrance in order to guard against German submarines. So I don't really know how they would, like, do that, because then gates in the net were opened periodically during the day in order to allow surface traffic to come and go. There was also an area of the harbour called Bedford Basin that was organised as an important staging area for transatlantic naval escorted convoys that had been organised as a way to protect against marauding submarines out on open water. Convoys of merchant ships would meet in Bedford Basin before they would ferry their supplies and soldiers out to the war effort in Europe. Do you want to sing the convoy song? We had a great big convoy rocking through the night. And we had a great big convoy. Ain't she beautiful sight? Yeah, so they did that with the ships. You trying to relate to me because my dad's to, a trucker? I'm trying to bring you in. Oh, it's not working. Yeah, so they would do that because they were scared of German submarines. Yeah, I would be too. <laughs> in early December 1917, one of those ships that was going to be in a convoy was the large Norwegian vessel Emo, which was en route from Halifax to New York in order to pick up supplies for the besieged population of war-torn Belgium. You know what would make this story more interesting? Tell me. If this was the origin of Emo ships... And that's where emos come from. Emo with an I. I'm probably saying it wrong. Oh. Imo, maybe? The words Belgian relief were emblazoned in large block letters on the Imo side. I'm calling it the Imo now. Maybe it's emo. I should have looked that up before I... Yeah, you're not doing your job. Ugh, I'm the worst. Another ship, who is also important to our story, was the French munition ship, the Mont Blanc, which was filled with tons of benzol, which is a high-explosive puric acid, TNT, and gun cotton, and it was arriving into Halifax to join a convoy that would travel across the ocean. So remember the Emo and the Mont Blanc. I probably won't, but okay. On the morning of December 6, 1917, the Emo was departing the harbour, emerging from the Bedford Basin to travel south through the Narrows between Halifax and Dartmouth. This was the harbour's tightest navigation section. The Emo was moving on the eastern side of the channel instead of the western side, which is where outgoing vessels would normally travel. So, essentially, it was on the wrong side of the road. In addition to that, she was traveling at a much faster speed than was allowed for that part of the harbor because she had been late in picking up her coal supply the previous day and was attempting to make up for lost time. It was a strange situation because the Emo had an experienced local harbor pilot on board, Mr. William Hayes, who knew the navigation rules of the harbor. However, the Emo had two close encounters with other ships who came up on her going the wrong way, too far east in the Narrows. Now to our other ship, the Mont Blanc. It had arrived outside Halifax the previous day and had anchored overnight at the mouth of the harbour. On the morning of December 6th, the ship was cleared by harbour authorities to move inward towards the Bedford Basin. Despite the Mont Blanc's dangerous cargo, so all of the gun stuff, there was no special protocol for her. Previously dangerous ships like this had not been allowed in the Bedford Basin, but with the war and threat of German submarines, the harbour authorities had made changes. Additionally, other ships like the Emo were to not told to hold their position while the Mont Blanc was traveling through, which would have provided an extra layer of safety. So what I mean is that this dangerous ship, you know, what would have made more sense was to tell all the other ships to wait, don't go anywhere until this one had passed through the channel. 
but they didn't make that precaution. They were just like, all ships can move whenever they want to. I see. I, I, I see. <laughs> what? No, no, nothing. Keep going. I just wanted to make sure that we were both on the same page here. Sure. Keep going. <laughs> I, so far, am loving the story. Oh, you're not going to rank highly this week. <laughs> Francis Mackey, the Mont Blanc's pilot, was guiding the ship inbound on the eastern side of the channel. So he was going the right way down the road, which was the same way that the emo was coming. When he encountered the emo heading straight towards him in what he believed was the Mont Blanc's lane. Mackay would later say that the emo was moving at an unsafe speed for such a large, unwieldy ship in the harbor, and also that incoming ships, so like them, because they were coming into the harbor, had the right-of-way over outgoing vessels. Remember that the Mont Blanc was coming into the harbor and the emo was coming out. Sources report this part that I just told you with the keyword, regardless of his claims, which makes me think that maybe they couldn't actually prove how fast the emo was going. But they could say for certain that emo was sailing too far to the east in what was the Mont Blanc's path. Can you guess what would have happened? I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm having a real hard time with this one. What would have happened? I'll save all the questions for the end, please, because I'm not going to be able to answer any questions. McKay spotted the emo in his path and gave a short blast of his ship's signal whistle to indicate that he had the right of way, but was met with two short blasts from the emo, indicating that the approaching vessel would not yield its position. So the two ships, they were driving through the narrows and they were coming up to each other and the emo was in the wrong road and the Mont Blanc was like, hey, I see you, please get out of my way, which was the one blast. And the emo was like, no, fuck you. Yeah, those emos are always disregarding the law. Yes. The captain ordered the Mont Blanc to halt her engines and angle slightly to the right, closer to the eastern shore. He let out another blast of his whistles, hoping that likewise the emo would move to its right, missing the Mont Blanc, so they would, like, pass each other. He, however, was met with another double blast, signaling that the emo was like, no. He was hoping that they'd be, like, two ships passing in the night? Yes! But they didn't. No. Sailors on nearby ships heard the series of signals and, realizing that a collision was imminent, gathered to watch as Emo bore down on Mont Blanc. Both ships had cut their engines by this point, but their momentum carried them towards each other at a slow speed. The captain of the Mont Blanc performed another series of maneuvers that I'm not going to describe because it's a lot of to port and starboard and da-da-da-da-da, but essentially what happened was that the Emo tried to reverse its engines. However, this move backfired and the head of the Emo swung into the Mont Blanc. The damage to the Mont Blanc was not severe, but barrels of deck cargo toppled over and broke open, flooding the ship with benzol that quickly flowed over the entirety of its body. What's benzol? It's like a fuel that can start on fire. It's like, so at the beginning I said that- <laughs> As opposed to regular fuel, which well, can't. Well, <laughs> no, it's, it's what they use. Like it's, it's really, really flammable and explosive. Mm. So the key thing is there's TNT, gun cotton, and then this, this oil yeah. that- um, is really explosive so it's flammable and explosive so basically this was just a huge bomb Mm -hmm. that was now on fire oh shit yeah so as the emo's engine started to back up she disengaged or let go of the mont blanc which created sparks inside the hull which ignited the vapors from the benzol a fire started at the waterline and traveled quickly up the side of the ship Surrounded by thick black smoke and fearing that she would explode almost immediately the captain of the mont blanc ordered the crew to abandon ship For nearly 20 minutes, the Mont Blanc burned, and a huge plume of black smoke rose into the sky. The spectacle attracted the attention of people on shore, including children on their way to school, and drew many residents to their windows and others towards the ship itself. 
In the harbor, teams of firefighters and sailors from other ships headed toward the Mont Blanc, hoping to put out its fire. However, the frantic crew of the Mont Blanc, who knew what was actually on the ship, because most people didn't actually know what was on it, um, because munition ships previously had not been allowed in that area, so they were like, didn't have the idea that this ship with a ton of TNT on it would be in their harbor. Um, so they headed towards it, hoping to put out its fire. The frantic crew of the Mont Blanc shouted from their lifeboats to get away and that their ship was about to explode. Also, they were from France, so they were speaking French. And so people were like, what are they saying to us? We don't know. Uh, they couldn't be heard above the nose and confusion and people didn't leave. As the lifeboats made their way across the harbor, the abandoned ship continued to drift and beached herself at Pier 6 near the foot of Richmond Street. Few understood the danger that the people of Halifax were truly in. Only a handful of harbor and naval officials knew what kind of cargo the Mont Blanc was carrying. However, at the nearby railway yards, the chief clerk was informed about the deadly cargo and called an agent further up the line to warn him of the danger. And this is the heritage minute that we see. Okay. Vincent Coleman, a railway dispatcher, was one of the men who found out and was actually about to run away from his office because he was like, this whole thing is going to explode. I need to get out and be free. But instead, he realized that a bunch of incoming trains were coming with passengers. Um, so instead, what he did was went back into his office and started typing out um, a message on the Morse code or the telegraph saying a munition ship on fire making for Pier 6 goodbye. Coleman's message sent in the final minutes of his life was among the earliest alerts received by the outside world about the disaster in Halifax, which we haven't gotten to yet. Oh, I thought th- I thought we were almost done. <laughs> the Mont Blanc, <laughs> the Mont Blanc exploded at 9.04.35 a.m. Much right like the second. Much like Matt LeBlanc, when he joined Friends, his career exploded. Mm-hmm. Yes. The ship was completely blown apart, and a powerful blast wave radiated away from the explosion at more than 1,000 meters per second. Temperatures of 5,000 degrees Celsius and pressures of thousands of atmospheres accompanied the moment of detonation at the center of the explosion. White hot shards of iron rained down upon the city. Mont Blanc's forward gun landed approximately 5.6 kilometers north of the explosion site, and its barrel was completely melted away. And the shank of the Mont Blanc's anchor, which weighed half a ton, landed 3.2 kilometers to the south. The blast was felt as far away as Cape Breton and Prince Edward Island, both about 200 kilometers away. Following this, a huge tsunami washed violently over the Halifax shores. Author Laura McDonald describes the ferocity of the explosion in her book, Curse of the Narrows, as such. That shit was crazy! The air blast blew through the narrow streets, toppling buildings, and crashing through windows, doors, walls, and chimneys until it slowed to 756 miles an hour. (laughs) Slowed. (laughs) Which is five miles below the speed of sound. Whoa. The blast crushed internal organs, exploding lungs and eardrums of those standing closest to the ship, most of whom died instantly. It picked up others only to thrash them against trees, walls, and lampposts with enough force to kill them. Okay, finally something cool (laughs) roofs and ceilings collapsed on top of their owners floors dropped into the basement and trapped families under timber beams and furniture yeah get him get him tsunami (laughs) this was particularly dangerous for those close to the harbor because a fireball which was invisible in the daylight shot out over a one to four mile area surrounding the mont blanc richmond houses caught fire like so much kindling in houses able to withstand the blast 
windows stretched inward until a glass shattered around its weakest point, sending out a shower of arrow-shaped slivers that cut their way through curtains, wallpapers, and walls. The glass spared no one. Some people were beheaded where they stood, others were saved by a falling bed or bookshelf. Many others who had watched the fire seconds before awoke to find themselves unable to see. So yes, I recognize that that was in Miles instead of kilometers, but it was a direct quote, so I had to keep her direct Right, quote. right, yeah. Also, I was just thinking, you know, how like, maybe it's a little fucked up that I'm on the tsunami side, but you were on Thanos' side. It wasn't just the tsunami, it was the fucking explosion. So all of those things I described was the explosion. Then there was the tsunami afterwards. I mean, I don't support the the explosion. I've, I've heard he's a little bit racist, to be honest. But the tsunami, he's a man of the people. Mm-hmm. Homes, offices, churches, factories, other ships, the railway station, and freight yards, as well as hundreds of people in the area, were instantly obliterated. Obliterated. Really? Like, just like... Yes. Isn't that crazy? It's cool as fuck. It's devastating. (laughs) (laughs) She just shot me me daggers. (laughs) Over 1,600 of these people died instantly. 9,000 were injured, and more than 300 of those died later. You know, to be honest, I would have rather been obliterated. I think so, too. (laughs) Like, at least, like, presumably, there was, like, little to no pain if it was instantaneous. Yeah, I agree. So. Yeah. People were also blown through the sky. Where and how they landed largely determined whether they lived or died. A man named Charles Mayers, who was the third officer on a ship in the harbor, was picked up and dropped nearly one kilometer from his ship, landing atop Fort Needham Hill in Richmond. Quote, I was wet when I came down, Mayers said. I had That's no... a little dirty for this story, well, just dear. Wait. I had no clothes on when I came to except my boots. <laughs> there was a little girl near me. <laughs> Stop it. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Indecent exposure. <laughs> well, she probably got picked up by the blast as well, so Either way, he's going to jail. Yeah. There was a little girl near me and I asked her where we were. She was crying and said she did not know where we were. Some men gave me a pair of trousers and a rubber coat. And <laughs> and put me on a sex offender list. <laughs> Hundreds of people who had been watching the fire from their homes were blinded when the blast wave shattered the windows in front of them. Ooh, so the glass went... Right into their eyeballs. Yucky. Overturned stoves and lamps started fire throughout Halifax, particularly in the North End, where entire city blocks burned, trapping residents in their houses. Firefighter Billy Wells, who was thrown from the explosion and had his clothes torn from his body, described the devastation survivors faced. The sight was awful, with people hanging out of windows dead some with their heads missing, and some thrown into the overhead telegraph wires. He was the only member of the eight-man crew of the fire engine Patricia to survive. The Micmac settlement at Turtle Grove, where the Micmac families had lived for generations, was also completely destroyed. Those houses in Turtle Grove that were not knocked down by the shockwave were soon swamped by the tsunami. You get him, my boy. Tsunami, he's my buddy. (laughs) Richmond was an apocalyptic scene. Trees and telegraph poles were snapped. Houses were turned into piles of splintered wood or split open, partially collapsed, or on fire. On the waterfront, the railway yards were destroyed, as were a series of large piers that once jutted into the harbour. Even larger stone or concrete buildings, such as the Richmond Printing Company, were reduced to rubble. Bewildered survivors, including those injured or in shock, wandered or crawled amid the wreckage, trying to make sense of what had happened. Across Halifax, there were miraculous stories of survival, and equally, stories of tragedy. Many children were killed on their walk to school that morning, or blinded by flying glass. Snow day. 
Those that survived the blast stumbled home only to find their houses shattered or their parents dead or wounded among the wreckage. More gre- morgue records from the ni- morgue records from 19 Is that how you say that morgue? Morgue? The morgue, the morgue like yeah. where dead bodies go? Yeah, am I saying it right? Uh no, it's actually morgu. Don't. Yeah, it's morgue. Okay. <laughs> I just my brain stopped. I want to see if I could get you there. <laughs> just for from now forever, you just call it. Uh, yeah, it's the morgu. <laughs> morgue. Yeah, it's morgue. Okay, morgue records from 1918 show 1,631 known dead or missing, and about a third of them were under the age of 15. By 2004, the number of dead had been revised to 1,946. Halifax Civilian Administration was ill-equipped to respond to the disaster. Before the explosion, social services were few and mostly offered by private charities, not the government. The city's mayor was away at the time, so leadership of the immediate response fell to the deputy mayor, Henry Colwell. He himself had only a small police and fire service to call on. And to make matters worse, the fire chief, Edward Condon, had been killed and the city's only fire pumper truck had been destroyed. Despite these challenges, Halifax could take advantage of the legions of well-disciplined military personnel who happened to be in the city, and they provided a ready and organized workforce to bring aid and a semblance of order. The military response included crews from warships that had either survived the blast or who arrived in the harbor in the days afterwards, and those people came ashore to help in the rescue and relief effort. Many homeless or wounded victims were also given shelter and medical care on board Canadian, American, and other ships in the harbor. From across Halifax, survivors rushed to Richmond to rescue people trapped in homes, carry stunned and wounded residents to safety, hand out clothing, and clear debris from roads. Local businesses donated supplies and offered work crews to help in the immediate aftermath. Rockhead Prison was opened as a shelter for the homeless. Since the city's commercial undertakers couldn't cope with the number of dead, Chibucto Road School, just outside the blast area, was turned into a morgue, or morgue. <laughs> morgue is its nickname actually (laughs) it's actually morgu meanwhile city officials hastily organized committees that provided emergency food shelter and transport for delivering the injured to hospital and taking relief workers into devastated areas the military was given full emergency powers to commandeer automobiles control looting attempts and to regulate movement in and out of richmond The explosion also made headlines around the world, and trains from throughout the Maritimes and from central Canada and New England soon brought medical aid, doctors, nurses, food, clothing, building materials, and skilled laborers. Huge volumes of relief and assistance, organized in nearby Boston and provided by the Massachusetts Halifax Relief Committee, were particularly noteworthy. And still today, uh, Halifax will cut down a tree and send it to Boston at Christmas time as a thank you. Many medical workers who came from Canada and the United States were later haunted by the horrors of the injuries they treated, particularly among children. So I'm going to try and like squish this next part. I'm going to see if I can summarize it. So they wanted to know who did it and who was at fault. They at first thought it was a German submarine, but then they realized that that wasn't the case. Um, The emo hired this really awesome lawyer, the people who owned that ship, the emo, to fight for their rights and the court was like oh yeah it was the Mont Blanc's fault um but then they realized in a couple of other like supreme court rulings that it was both the emo and the Mont Blanc's fault um which I think is really interesting because when you read the history you can see that the emo was on the wrong side of the street um and the Mont Blanc tried to warn them and the emo was like no we're not getting out of the way so i thought that was interesting and to this day this is why we hate emos (laughs) that's true 
That's true. The Halifax explosion was one of the largest artificial non-nuclear explosions. For many years afterwards, the Halifax explosion was the standard by which all large blasts were measured. For instance, in its report on the atomic bombing of Hiroshima, Time magazine wrote that the explosive power of the little boy bomb was seven times that of the Halifax explosion. The many eye injuries resulting from the disaster led to better understanding of how to care for damaged eyes, and with the recently formed Canadian National Institute for the Blind. So CNIB came out of the Halifax explosion. Wow. Halifax then became internationally known as the Centre for Care of the Blind. And I don't have a conclusion, so Dakota, what do you think? You look like you want to kill yourself. <laughs> wow, can you read my mind or something? Like, wow. <laughs> okay, so I just want to... I. I just want to say, before you ruin my yeah. joy, because I know you're going to do that, Yeah, I really liked this episode for me. I love all the facts and the details and just reading all of that, what you think is probably boring and dry. I love it so much. And I, I, hope, I hope my listeners can hear how excited I was about it because like, it really made me happy. Oh, and I don't want you to say it was shitty and I'm crying. You're, okay. 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> how can I give you a bad rating now? Fuck. I don't know why I got so emotional, but I really love history and I love the details. And it's okay if you don't. You can, so, you can, sh- you can shit on it. It's fine. No, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. No, I'm settled. I'm, okay. We're going to switch this up a little bit because okay. it's what fun is, is it going to be me giving this what you could all, you could assume I'm going to give it a two, a one, a zero. doesn't matter. The point is I'm going to let you rate this one. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> you don't have to give it a tag. Just basically from your perspective and, and don't, don't just assume just jump to 10. Think about the other sh- shows that you've done research what would you give the content of the subject matter? So, like, this is really hard for me to do because, like, okay. you know, there's so many different things that you have to take into account. Like, was it entertaining? Probably not. Was it interesting? Absolutely. So, I don't know how to rate this. That's fair, but I feel like listeners I had a will 10 out of 10 fun researching it. That's what we're going to rate this. <laughs> 10 out of 10 I, fun research times? <laughs> 10 out of 10 fun research times. Wow, two 10 out of 10s in a no, row. Okay, I do need... I do. No, 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 I, I want to know. I want to know. You actually want me to give I it a rating? I do want to know. I'm okay. I feel okay now. Okay, I mean, you were crying. So, I know. like, I feel bad now. <laughs> I wasn't... So, here's the thing. I wasn't uh. sad crying. I was crying... This is, sounds so stupid. I was crying because I was so excited about this story yeah and it just makes history makes me feel things and i don't know how to explain to people what it makes me feel but it makes me so excited like i'm crying again because i jesus christ (laughs) not in a bad way like not sad crying it's not sad crying it's like i love it i'm so passionate about it that like it just makes me tear up because and and like which also makes teaching it hard because then people are like what the f- like why are you why crying? Is she crying why again? is she crying <laughs> because she's very excited and she doesn't know how else yeah. to regulate those emotions <laughs> so uh um, yeah yeah i okay so i got my rating okay i got my stinger okay I have to explain the stinger of how i'm gonna write it though because okay. i write down all of my stingers right and if i write it it's just gonna look like well, spoiler alert, morgue. It's going to read morgue. Right, so okay. I'm going to say it in a different way, okay? okay so it. 
It was a little bit lower until you got to my buddy Tsunami. Right. Because that part was kind of crazy. That yeah. was that that was the big takeaway that that is crazy shit that happened and yeah. I'm that I'm surprised I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah. Cuz like that is that's insane that that's a thing. Can you hey, let's talk for a minute. Can you imagine we're just sitting here <laughs> and recording this podcast and all of a sudden just like what's that blinding light out there or like the ocean is it anywhere near Saskatchewan? <laughs> and then we just see water coming in, killing us instantly. Yeah, that'd be crazy. That would be crazy. So that was nuts. Yes. But there was all the stuff surrounding it, <laughs> which I did not enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like my distracted brain was just going off in just different directions. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Oh, um, you know, man, let's, I don't know what to do with myself in this moment. I guess I'll stare off into space. <laughs> so I give this three mm. <laughs> more goo out of ten. Perfect. Yeah, that's fair. Sorry, so if we sorry, take an, if we take an average of that, so if we go, we're gonna math it here. An average of between ten and three. <laughs> ten plus three yeah. divide by two, so the average is six point five out of ten. I don't feel good about that either. <laughs> I gave you the chance to rate it, and I would that would have gone in the records. <laughs> that's fine. This this episode can only get a ten or a three. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's so fair. we're gonna go with a three more goo out of ten, or ten out of ten fun research times. Out of no, 10. you had your chance. I was gonna give that oh, to you, and okay. then you made me tell you. That's right. That's so right, it gets right. a three. Okay, fine. I hear what you're saying. I respect you. Do you though? <laughs> Maybe you respect me. Do you respect my time? Who's to say? <laughs> well, that's all we have for this She week. didn't laugh at that one. <laughs> She's like, fuck you. <laughs> We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please download our podcast from wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review or tell your friends about us because indie podcasts really do grow through word of mouth. And if you want to stay in contact, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian, or you can leave us a tip at buymeacoffee.com slash the historian. You can also shoot us an email with future show ideas or corrections you may have noted to the reluctant historian at gmail.com. So we'll see you next week, same time, same place. The tsunami is the hero we all need. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.